Welcome to episode five of Diva Discourse. Today, we will be discussing, take it away, Enzo. Me, myself, and I. Written by Beyonce, Scott Storch, and Robert Waller. All the ladies, if you feel me, help me sing it Actually, a song about the Holy Trinity. Indeed, the ontological trinity. (laughs) Beyonce, Beyonce, and Beyonce. The song was released in 2003 as part of Beyonce's debut solo album, Dangerously in Love. This is a song that came out in my early adolescence. And as a result, we're finally discussing an era in which I feel like I have a little bit of authority given my experience (laughs) and age. (laughs) Respect your gay elders. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. It was written, co-written by Scott Storch, who also wrote the song Still Dre, which has a distinctive piano riff like this song. He helped write Baby Boy, Naughty Girl, Candy Shop by 50 Cent. Robert Waller co-wrote Hey Y'all by Eve, Cater to You. These were guys who were really omnipresent in that era's R&B scene. This was a song that debuted on the charts when Baby Boy was number one. came out in late 2003. It was the third single off of Dangerously in Love. Crazy in Love was a huge kind of shocker that defined the era. Hmm. Baby Boy was number one for an even longer period. So Beyonce dominated the charts in 2003. Me, Myself, and I came out at the end of the year, and it slowly rose to number four. And it hit number four when the song Slow Jams by Twista, Kanye West, and Jamie Foxx was number one. I think in some ways, Me, Myself, and I was the mainstream exhibition of the album's kind of like deeply sophisticated, delicate, drawn-out, contemplative style of R&B. It was the billboard-sized declaration of the album's true tone, speaking for songs like Speechless and Signs and Gift from Virgo and Dangerously in Love. That was the true tone of the album. Crazy in Love and Baby Boy were almost exceptions. Yeah. But they defined the album. Right. On the charts that time was Outkast's song, I Like the Way You Move, Yeah by Usher, Alicia Keys' You Don't Know My Name was in the top, one of the top songs, R. Kelly's Hotel. The next week that Me, Myself, and I was number four, that's where it peaked for two weeks, Yeah by Usher was number one. A real snapshot of a moment in history. This is a sonic landscape. Absolutely. I mean, the most successful songs that year were the ones I mentioned. It was also, there was also If I Ain't Got You by Alicia Keys, Confessions Part 2 by Usher, Burn by Usher, um, She Will Be Loved by Maroon 5, <laughs> I Don't Want to Know by Mario Winans. I mean, what days? What, what, this, this was the emergence of R&B as the predominant genre on the billboard. Before this era, you still had, I mean, rock, you had more classic sugar pop in the, the vein of the Backstreet Boys and Sync, Britney Spears. But the early 2000s was, was when the likes of Usher and Alicia Keys 
and you know Kanye, but very much Destiny's Child and Beyonce took the genre into the commercial penthouse. Yeah, yeah. radios had speeded up; they just went slower. <laughs> In a number of senses, this song is as much about its ambience as it is its melody. It's a definitive version of what it evokes and imitates. This really stands out in Beyonce's discography because of how much it hews to those conventions. Absolutely. You can hear pop R&B trademarks of the era. I mean, this was an age when aching, pining R&B was the mood of the era. And it wasn't in this kind of annoying, whiny way that Drake does it today. Yeah. It was more sincere and kind of more melodic. Yeah, and sexy. Totally sexy. Absolutely. Songs like Burn by Usher. And Mario's Let Me Love You. Yes. The most Filipino-coded American song ever recorded. Okay, another thing that's super reminiscent of that era is the man's voice talking in the first minute of the song. It's very much rooted in hip-hop skits. And I think R&B at that time took those skits but incorporated it kind of sincerely yeah. behind the melody. Me, Myself and I was not only thematically tied to Destiny's Child songs like Say My Name, Bugaboo, and yeah. Independent, Independent Woman. Woman. It was also melodically tied. And just like the best of the Destiny's Child songs, it also functioned as a manifesto. Independent Women is a very clear anthem with a very clear message. So is Bills, Bills, Bills. Me, myself, and I is the same. It has a very clear thesis statement. You know, you don't need this man because you have yourself. And so why cry over him? There's possibly some subtextual implications in the fact that this was her first solo album. Yes. The Me, Myself, and I took the place of Kelly and Michelle. It really did. And I find it so funny that the single artwork for this song is just three Beyonce's. <laughs> right. This wasn't Beyonce's most subtle era, as the music video depicts. Well, it is worth noting that when this song came out, Beyonce was 21. And, you know, speaking of her age, this song is, it's young Beyonce's voice. Beyonce has, in, in some ways, you could really uh, coarsely reduce it to two vocal chapters. There's, there's more, but there's young Beyonce and there's raspy, husky Beyonce. Mm. We both love husky Beyonce. Yes. I think we both love to older death. women's voices. Yes. But the power of her vocal instrument at this point in time, A, she had something to prove, and B, she was as deft and enthusiastic an athlete as it came. She used her voice wildly. Yeah. She does lovely things like the harmonies, the call and response at the last minute of the song. Yeah. This was an era when Beyonce was accused of oversinging. And those accusations lasted until the album four, when she really, I think, mastered not just technique, but manifestation. There was one funny review that critic Mark Anthony Neal wrote after this album came out, and in it he described his relief at the song's lack of, quote, melisma fits, <laughs> which he said had marked earlier songs by Beyonce. He called her riffing style Patti LaBelle on crack. <laughs> <laughs> we also can't deny that this was an era with kitschier lyrics, and lyrics <laughs> like, 
foolish of me to compete when you cheat with loose women is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> like, we, we have to laugh at that a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> music video? Yes. <laughs> so... I feel like this music video, though I don't watch it often, when I watch it again for this podcast, I notice a lot of little elements that have influenced her later work. The reverse camera motion is employed in the Rocket video, which is one of her best. There's the running mascara, which is in Why Don't You Love Me. Yep. There's also the cigar that she's smoking from yes. Upgrade You. I think this is also might have been a conscious reference, but... The underground parking lot is very Don't Hurt Yourself. And it's very similar lighting. I feel like Don't Hurt Yourself was almost a redo of Me, Myself, and I. It's also a song about cheating. But here she's, you know, in an eloquent rage. And I feel that was her kind of looking back at this moment in her career and redoing it as a grown woman, as a mother, as a wife. Well, she told BET at the time in an Access Granted episode that it was the hardest video she'd ever made. And it's kind of hilarious in retrospect when you look at the fact that she then went on to behemoth production scales like Run the World and Countdown and Haunted and Formation. I will say that I think this music video is pretty boring by Beyonce standards. It is. It's kind of just a basic R&B video from that year. Exactly. I mean, her old dance videos still hold sway, but the slower ballads like this are, like all ballads were and all R&B songs were in those days, their music videos were background videos. They were the types of things you just had on at a TV, at a restaurant or a bar, and you didn't really have to do much more than just kind of, like, walk around and cry, you know? (laughs) Well, also, you know, with this video, some parts are a little contrived. I mean, like, her kicking her heels off backwards and the red panty are, (laughs) by today's standards, a little hilarious. They don't quite work, you know? But, you know, there's a through line... From her kicking off her shoes to throwing off her ring and don't hurt yourself. Mm, okay, fine. Okay, I'll take it. But of course, I mean, there are redeeming factors to the video. The, uh, her hair, both straight with the bangs and the fabulous bob. The bob is so good. Oh my gosh, the bob. The, the straight with the bangs, I could do without. Not her best look. But the short with the bob... She looked so beautiful, and she doesn't do short hair often. I think this video is also young Beyonce trying out her acting chops and trying to exhibit them. This was a time where she was still very much an aspiring actress. She was giving interviews saying, I want to win a Grammy, an Oscar, a Tony, and an Emmy. And she very much had her eye on breaking it into Hollywood. And you can see in this video, he is, he's crying, he's shouting. It's almost like an audition tape to Hollywood studios. And a year after the album's release, she starred in Austin Powers 3, yes. which was actually a great performance yes. and a great video. Foxy Cleopatra. Yeah. <laughs> it was hilarious because at the time, Britney Spears was bigger. So Britney has a cameo at the beginning of that movie as like Britney, you know, whereas yeah. Beyonce is an actress. And yeah. interesting to see where career arcs go. Right. All right, now we are going to discuss 
the live performances, me, myself, and I. So among the first times she ever performed, me, myself, and I, was during the Dangerously in Love tour. And the videographic rendition of it is a DVD called Live at Wembley, where she performs a song pretty straightforwardly. There's some riffing, but the song got a total makeover as she went on. You know, similarly at the 2003 Billboard Music Awards, she basically recreates her music video. So she had the same hairstyle, she had the bangs, she had the long hair. She had screens at the back that were her, and eventually all the dancers who came out were dressed exactly as her. It did have the famous octave change that we're going to discuss. But her earliest renditions of the song didn't have the sass she'd acquire later. I just want to say I love how the backup dancers all come out dressed as her with the same hair. It just bolsters the song's function as an anthem for all women where Beyonce is centering her own experience, but also using it as an abstract experience that every woman can project onto. Mm, I love that. She kind of has her cake and eats it too. Yes. It's, it's about her, but she manages to amplify herself at the same time. Which is a technique that she mastered with Lemonade. Yeah, I would say that she even mastered it with Run the World during her Billboard performance. I yeah. Mean, every woman who came out somehow seemed like an extension of Beyonce's grandiosity. Right. But Lemonade was her taking a very personal narrative and blowing it up to the size of America itself. Yes, right, or, or portions of America, yeah. Yeah. Another performance of this song was in 2004 at something that was called the Verizon Ladies First Tour. And there are no professional recordings of this tour. It, there's like one video on YouTube that looks like it was recorded on like a Nokia. And it's so hard to watch. It's so funny. And there's good reason it's not recorded. But I will say I love how guttural Beyonce is before introducing this song. He takes a little bag. She says that he's going to tell them a horror story. And out of the bag, he takes out some red panties. <laughs> And it's worth noting that that's what she does in the music video, too. It's the same red panties. Yeah. And she kind of, like, gives a little speech. Like, I want you to remember that, you know, you're the best person that you have for yourself. And you can't disappoint yourself. And she isn't being demure. She's not being polite. She's actually shouting, which is not a side of her that we saw this early on in her career so much. And you really see, you know, the glimmers of what would come later in her career. I do wonder, you know, Matthew Knowles was her manager at the time. How did she ask for the red panties? I mean, like, did, she, <laughs> yeah. did, did her father give them to her? Did she ask her team? Like, whose panties were they? One of her father's mistresses. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Matthew. <laughs> this is a pro-Tina podcast. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know, the thing with Beyonce, and we've, we're going to mention this almost every episode, is that she is very attuned to how her performances go. She watches them, she learns from them, and she improves them. And it's remarkable to look at how she innovates even her old songs as she continues to tour. So when 2006 came around, she had just released her second solo album, B-Day. She went on the Beyonce Experience world tour. And that is when she nailed this version of Me, Myself, and I. It became the standard way that she performed it. She slowed it down, but she sassed it up. Yes. I can't believe I believed everything we had So young and naive me to think she And oh my God, I mean, 
she sings this wearing her iconic green bikini top, kind of a belly dancer yeah, top. Yeah, very it. dark green, like very deep, deep emerald. Right. And uh, with a translucent skirt. Her whole navel is out. It's this very like low waisted Y two K. And this really great bedazzled belly button jewelry. Right, which I must let our listeners know, you, Enzo, tried to emulate when we went and saw the Renaissance World Tour. You wore a crop shirt with the little belly jewelry. I did, I did. And sadly, it fell out by the time we got to New Jersey. Yeah, and when I came home that night, I actually found it in my trash can. (laughs) (laughs) The traces of a mistress. When she performed Me, Myself, and I during the Beyonce experience, she really leaned into the ferocity of the song. And something that will strike any Yonsologist, any Beyonce connoisseur, is something she does to this song when she performs it live, when she sings a line, Now that it's over, stop calling me, come pick up your clothes. It's really emotional, right? Because when she sings this in the song, the recorded song, she sings... When she sang this, and she did this actually during the 2003 Billboard Music Awards, she'd done this before, but because this song is slowed down, it's got a very faint, gentle, melodic backbone. She sings... And it's such a shocking octave jump that the audience kind of, it's not an immediate cheer. Every time she does this, there's a rumble of shock and excitement through the audience. It's almost like there's a a collective gasp. I mean, the recorded version of this at the Beyonce experience was so good that the live recording earned her a Grammy nomination for Best Female R&B Vocal Performance. It lost to the song Superwoman by Alicia Keys. Mm. I also love how this song is bookended on the Beyonce experience. It's preceded by a saxophone solo. Also, after the saxophone player leaves and Beyonce comes out, it's the point where she delivers what is kind of the thesis statement of the tour, which is that this is a tour for women. If you haven't realized, every musician on the stage, they are all women. And I'm very proud of that. I write a lot of my songs for my ladies. This song I wrote a couple of years ago was called Me, Myself, and I. Break it down, ladies. And this was a time when, for big touring pop stars, that was extremely unusual. So rare. No one was doing this. This was 2006. You know, as Beyonce fans, we all obsessively watch her live performances, but we all also have our favorite tours. The Beyonce experience is not mine. I know that you're. It's mine. I know you're a big advocate for it. It's funny that it's yours because you know you said in episode one, Enzo, that um, in the Philippines we're all pirates, and yeah. I feel like the Beyonce experience is the pirated version of the I Am World <laughs> Tour. It's almost like the drag queen version it's like, <laughs> because it's like you know she's literally performing in front of silver like confetti yeah. curtains. <laughs> so to me, there's like a whimsical quality to the Beyonce experience. That being said, right, her vocals, unmatched, insane. I told you.
for the record, the Beyonce experience isn't my favorite tour of hers. That would probably be either Renaissance or Mrs. Carter. But it was the moment I became a Beyonce fan when I rewatched it. I didn't watch it when it came out. I was like a baby. But rewatching it later on is what took me from casual Beyonce fan to hardcore Beyonce fan. Because he never misses a note. Her vocals are so incredibly powerful. Her stage presence is unmatched, and her hair is perfect. I am a big advocate for dark hair Beyonce. In fact, I think dark hair Beyonce is the most evocative of young Tina. She looks most oh, like her mother yes. during this yes. tour. And Tina is so beautiful. I have to say that my favorite version of the song, it's not the most important version of the song, which I know we're going to agree on. My favorite live version of the song is during the Formation World Tour in 2016. She precedes it by that kind of gentle speech to women. No matter where you go, no matter who breaks your heart, you always have God inside of you. This is called me, myself, and I. Y'all know what I'm saying. And when she does the octave change during the Formation World Tour, oh my God. I mean, <laughs> this was like huskier Beyonce, but her voice is just as powerful. Yeah. And I love the roiling, rousing response it elicits in the audience where they're kind of like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. But I think we'll agree that the most significant Live rendition of the song, Enzo. Homecoming, hands down. Absolutely. Her performance in 2018 at Coachella of this song. It was a surprise inclusion. Yeah. Beyonce's Coachella performance is almost too important and significant to even summarize right now. Let's just say that, you know, the first 45 minutes are particularly intense and potent. And she performs her song, Sorry, off of Lemonade in what is possibly the night's angriest or second angriest moment. She incorporates a HBCU-style hazing and step routine into the song Sorry. And then she continues on with the song Sorry and transitions into Me, Myself, and I. And I don't feel bad about it. It's exactly what you get. Stop interrupting my grinding. And she then returns to Sorry and then transitions into Kitty Cat. I rock diamonds on my neck, got diamonds on my records. Since 15, coming down, ripping Texas. In this little medley she does, she moves between 2016, 2003, 2006. She weaves together her discography thematically, melodically, politically in an incredible manner that was not lost on critics at the time. Why do you think that Kitty Cat was part of that medley? Because it's also about telling a man to go. Mm. It's kind of her expelling a man from her life. I totally agree, and in a very swaggy way. Yeah. All right, beautiful ones. Welcome back <laughs> to Mama Tina's Hair Salon. Snip, snip. <laughs> Take it away, Enzo. When Princess Diana sat down with Martin Bashir to discuss the fact that there were three people in her marriage, 
Well, there were three of us in this marriage, so it was a bit crowded. I imagine her listening beforehand, anachronistically, to me, myself, and I. Because that was the moment she was like, okay, this is where I risk it all. And from here on out, I am alone. So good. <laughs> oh my God, I love it. Okay, my recipient for Mamatina's Hair Salon is a woman who Beyonce saw coming in at the age of five, seven, nine, twelve, fifteen, always talking about a husband who'd left her. And at the age of five, Beyonce was like, okay, this just happened a few years ago, but now it's been five years, 10 years, 15 years, and this woman just couldn't stop bringing him up. She kind of had hitched herself to his wagon in this way that was inseparable. And I think Beyonce wrote the song as much to remind herself never to let that happen as to remind that lady that there is no way that you can successfully persevere as a person if you are irrevocably somebody else's other half. And that's it for episode five. We'll sign off with some of the best dialectical moments from me, myself, and I. Enjoy. Enjoy.